Our script reading for today is taken from the book of Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter, the third verse, and here Moses is addressing the children of Israel uh, during the time of the great exodus. So God humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know, make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would strengthen our faith through them. Amen. You may be seated. To think back to what life might have been like for the Old Testament Israelites 3,500 or more years ago during the time of the Exodus is kind of hard for us to fathom. And when you read the story of them traveling out of Egypt and for 40 years wandering in the wilderness, it's just, it's just so hard to comprehend. It's just so hard to take it all in and how completely different their lives were from our own. Just imagine trying to find somebody from that day and age and show them how to use a cell phone. Imagine, imagine uh, trying to explain to them how to get onto a, and find your favorite show on Netflix. Or try to explain to them why you want to buy jeans with holes in them already. Okay, I don't even get that one myself. But anyway, I digress. The, um, the thing that's interesting about all of this is that when you really studied the situation that they are in and the way they respond to things and the way they go through things during the Exodus, there's a lot of similarities with us. There are many, many similarities with us. This happened a long time ago in such a completely different part of the world, and yet at the same time, they, they're kind of a picture of you and me. And that's one of the reasons that God laid this down for us in Scripture, both in the Old and references that we have of it likewise in the New Testament as well. The great exodus of the children of Israel is what we call a typological prophecy. Now, it, it truly happened historically. It was a historical event that truly took place. And yet at the same time, there is a type of us in it. There is a typology, we call that, that's built into this for us to learn lessons from it as well. God, as we see in our text, God had permitted hunger to come upon them for them to, to learn a spiritual lesson, you might say, to teach them a lesson about their faith and their relationship to God. You know, it's interesting, whenever a tragedy strikes, on news crews go out and start interviewing people after a tornado or a hurricane or something. It's interesting how, how oftentimes people who maybe had not had many thoughts about God before that at all are suddenly filled with conversations and thoughts and things about God and about, about uh, his presence in their lives and so on. When things are going really well for us, it's easy for us to kind of forget and neglect our spiritual lives and to, to not really think about the things of God and the things of his kingdom. We start to think that we're pretty capable of handling our own lives. We're pretty self-sufficient. We're pretty good at taking care of what we need for ourselves. We don't really have a need for some divine source for everything. It's how we often think to ourselves, who needs God? Why do I need God in my life? Everything I'm doing is taking care of what I need and the economy's going well enough for me to do okay and so on. Man seems to be pretty self-sufficient. 
and the successes that we have in life, the things that we are able to get and attain in life, seem to always come because of something we did or someone around us did. And so we can easily drift into this world of man-centeredness, man-centeredness. A Russian Christian author by the name of Alexander Solzhenitsyn was once asked to come and give a talk at Harvard. And he was talking about how Western civilization had gotten so far removed from needing God and that human beings in the Western culture just have this idea that man is the center of everything. And this is what he wrote. I love this line. He calls it the calamity of a despiritualized and irreligious humanistic consciousness. <laughs> what, a, what a statement about our culture. I'm going to read it again. The calamity of a despiritualized and irreligious humanistic consciousness. Who needs God is really what he's trying to say, that how our culture thinks in Western civilization. If you've ever seen one of these, um, they're kind of like a globe balloon that you can buy for a child and maybe kind of the size of a punching ball, but it looks like a globe when you blow it up. And when you put the air into that balloon and blow that in, that sustains it and holds it and keeps it going. God, God tells us that everything in our world, in fact, beyond that, in the entire universe, has been created and continues to be sustained by his presence and his word that originally created everything. Everything that's about us and around us and who we are and our bodies and the, the air that we breathe, the food that we eat, all that we have is because of God's presence starting originally with the creating power of his word that is effective to do what he wanted it to do. When he said, let there be light and there was light. Let there be this, as we read through Genesis. So everything that we have in our world today, including our very bodies and the very soul, the very mind you're using to listen to me with today, the ears, your eyes, everything, goes back ultimately to the work of God and the word of God through which he chose to work and create everything. And so the temporal world that we live in and the spiritual world that we have, all of that likewise is by God's doing. And sometimes we just need to be kind of slapped in the face to be reminded of that. The children of Israel needed to go through some hungry times during the Exodus to be reminded of that. And then to go out and to find on the ground this manna that God had provided, actual type of bread that covered like flakes on the ground that they could pick up and eat and it had the right nutrients in it, something that was completely miraculous. But that manna that God provided every day for them so that they, their bodies would be taken care of on this great exodus was a, a visual presence and reminder of the importance of him and his word and his involvement in their lives. St. Paul was once speaking to unbelievers in the city of Athens, and he referred to God as the one he says, he says, in him we live and move and have our being. In God, you and I live and move and have our very existence and our very being. So the lessons we are to learn from this, along with the children of Israel, first of all, is don't, be so, don't become so distracted by earthly issues that we neglect and forget about the greater issues of our lives, 
the spiritual matters, our relationship to God, and the fact that this world isn't where we ultimately are going to stay. Sometimes we need things taken away from us to remind us of that. I remember years ago when I was a young pastor, a member came to me and as he wanted to introduce himself to me and get, so I could get to know him a little bit, he pulled up his sleeves and he showed me scars all over his arms. He had been in a plane accident and he said, this was God's wake-up call for me. He said, I used to be a Christian before this, but I didn't really think much about my spiritual life and my relationship to God. But I almost burned to death in a plane crash. And he said, that's what really woke me up. Sometimes God needs to remove things from us to get us to remember once again his great blessings to us. But God would have us look to him. Another lesson is not only just for temporal matters for this life, but most importantly for spiritual matters, the greater matters, how to get right with him so that someday we can be led into heaven. And that's something we can't do on our own. God, just like the bread that had to come down on the earth, the manna that would sustain them, God has sent his son into the world, the true bread of life. And he has come down into this world. And when we learn to know him as our Savior who went to the cross for our sins, when we learn to believe and trust in him for our hope of heaven, that is the true bread of life that feeds our souls so that someday we can get out of our graves. And that's why our text says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Isn't it interesting how often God directs us back to his word? It's always his word is where he wants us to go, to know him and to be strengthened in our faith and to keep and establish our relationship with him. But the final lesson of all of this is that God wants us to remember that as wonderful as this life may be for us at times, this world is not really your final destination. Probably Jesus, when he was a little boy or teenager, More than likely, his family celebrated a festival known as Sukkot. It was a Hebrew festival that the Jewish people celebrated where they would literally go out in their backyards or sometimes outside of town and live in a tent for a week. And it wasn't like a vacation. The idea was to remind those who were descendants of the children of Israel of how God had spared them in the wilderness and that they'd had to live in tents for that 40-year period as they went on their way ultimately to the promised land. But it was also a way of reminding them that any dwelling you live in in this world and in this life is temporal. It's going to go away. It's going to fade away. And to keep our minds and hearts focused on the greater, lasting tabernacle that God has prepared for us through Christ, and that is the home we have waiting for us in heaven. When the Israelites finally did enter the promised land and got to eat the fruit from that land for the first time instead of the manna that they had been eating for 40 years, they now realized that their sojourn, their travels, had been worth it. When you and I, by God's grace, finally enter the real promised land of heaven where there is nothing but bliss and peace and security, you and I will realize that the challenges we faced in this life, even of our faith to hold on to Christ, all of those great challenges will have been worth it. Your Lord says to you, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Amen.
Please rise for prayer. Today we would like to keep in our prayers Jacob Smith. Uh, Jacob was a student here last semester. He's not attending this semester, but is still part of our Bethany family. Uh, Jacob was involved in a really bad car accident over the weekend and has broken both of his legs and an arm, has already needed some surgery and will need further surgery. So we'd like to keep him in our prayers today. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we come before you on behalf of your child, Jacob, and we thank you for sparing his life through this horrible accident. Uh, we pray that you would be with him now and grant him a speedy recovery. We thank you for the blessings of modern medicine. We ask today that you would put those gifts to use, uh, that they may benefit him and bring healing to his body. Above all, we pray that you would preserve him in his knowledge and faith of Christ his Savior, and keep all of us focused on the wonderful home in heaven that you have prepared for us through the work of your Son. We ask it in his saving name. Amen. Now may the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit bless and preserve you. Go in his peace. Amen. Mm.